Well, good morning and welcome. We are so excited that you have joined us for worship this morning. We are going to begin our time of worship with a very special baptism. All, all baptisms are. Adam, come on down. Kirsten. It is chilly. All right. This is Kirsten Lineberry. And Kirsten has accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior and is excited this morning to have her father baptize her. So, uh, Kirsten, for about, I guess right after, maybe four months ago, right after I got home from the last ride, was mentioning that she wanted to be baptized. And um, we kind of continue to talk about salvation because, you know, we know that salvation comes before baptism. And um, I just really wanted to kind of nail it down with her. So I've continued to talk with her and pray with her. And uh, we just really wanted to, the Acts 2.38, you know, be uh, repent and be baptized. And so the more that I talked with Kirsten, the more that she understood repentance, that it's kind of a, a turning away, right, from the old life and turning toward a new life in Christ. It's uh, changing your direction, your direction of your heart. And so she asked me last night, she said, uh, Dad, why has the devil come after me so hard this week? It's because I'm going to be baptized because she's hurt her knee, she's hurt her toe, she's hurt all kinds of stuff. And I said, well, he knows that he's going to lose you from his side of the battle and you're going to enter God's side of the battle. And so it's not that you're, you know, going to win every fight or anything like that. Baptism is just a, a representation that you're going to start following and walking uh, with the Lord and that you uh, profess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Savior. So, Kirsten, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Well then, by your confession of faith, my daughter... <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ unto death, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Good job, kids. Good job. Amen. What a wonderful way for us to begin our morning of worship. I've got a few announcements for you this morning as we begin. Many of you know that we have been taking uh, up a donation or giving offering for the Ukrainian people. Uh, Dr. Joe Savage with Roads of Hope has been placed in a strategic position to be able to help. And last week alone, just through your generous giving, we saw $17,000 come in for the Ukrainian people. And I praise God for that. That on top of the 5000 that the Missions Committee has authorized, that's over $20,000 going to help refugees. And, and today, you can still give to that offering. If you would, and just on one of the envelopes, put for the Ukrainian, or uh, for uh, Roads of Hope, or you can um, give that directly through Roads of Hope. But we're going to continue that even today, if you would place that uh, in the offering boxes in the back. I also want to share with you, two years ago, um, when I uh, became pastor January 1st, 2020, one of the things that I really wanted to do at Resurrection Sunday was a Seder meal together. And as soon as we had everything planned, guess what happened? COVID. 
And now, two years later, I'm excited to announce that we are going to have our Seder dinner together on Resurrection Week or Holy Week. So Thursday and Friday of uh, Resurrection Week, April 14th and 15th, we're going to have a Seder meal in our fellowship hall. Cost is $5. I know that many of you signed up and paid $5 two years ago. Good news, we have the list of those who have paid. And so if you'll just let us know that you've paid, but you have to sign up even if you've already paid two years ago. We'll have the list, we can mark you off, but you have to sign up. Sign up will begin Wednesday night. Wednesday night, not, not today, but Wednesday night. And on Thursday, we'll have child care available. On Friday, we will not. So if you don't have children that need child care and you can pick a day, pick Friday so that we can leave openings for those who have children. You must sign up even if you've already paid uh, so that we make sure that we don't overbook with the seats that we have available. Also, on March 17th, our senior adult luncheon um, is, and the deadline to sign up for that is today, and that's here as uh, Vaughn Drinkard will be here to be talking through uh, estate planning and wills to help anybody that may be in need of that. March 17th at 11.30, sign up ends today. Please sign up in the back or in the lobby uh, when you leave today. Two more quick announcements. We have the IF gathering for the women's ministry, and that's coming up on March 25th and Saturday, March 26th, right here in the fellowship hall. This is for all the women of Luke 418 to come and and to be poured into through this ministry. Cost is $10. You can sign up at the event table today in the lobby. And then this Sunday... Well, excuse me, this week end, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is our Disciple Now. And we're super excited about all that God is going to do as Brother Matthew leads a group of 43 students and and workers. But as you leave today, there will be a prayer guide in the back in the lobby that you could get and, and be praying for the leadership, for the students, for the speaker, for the, the worship pastor, so many ways that you can be praying for them. And please pick that up on your way out as it begins this Friday all the way until Sunday. And with that, this is Brother Matthew and Shelby's one year anniversary here at Luke 418. And we are just so thankful for them being here. And we're going to go to the Lord in prayer And we're going to pray for those who are in Ukraine and what's happening. And we're going to pray that as we worship this morning, that our hearts would just be turned to God and God alone. Let's go to the Lord. And oh, one other thing also, I wanted to share that Pasco ministry is here today with us. And we are so thankful that y'all are with us today. And we rejoice uh, in God bringing y'all here today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Uh, Father, this morning as we begin this time, our hearts are burdened for what's taking place across our world. But Father, as we study Daniel, we recognize that you are in control. Father, nothing has caught you by surprise. And what the enemy means for harm, you are turning for your good. And so, Father, I thank you for Roads of Hope and the strategic partnership that you have placed them there for the past eight years for such a time as this. 
And Father, I pray for all the hands and feet of Jesus throughout the region who is pouring into the refugees that are coming across the border. Father, I pray that many would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray revival would break forth throughout this country and and across the world, Father. Lord, this morning as we come into this place, we come to worship you. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Father, we come before you today with clean hands and a pure heart because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. And we thank you that you are here with us today. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for worshiping with us today, whether online uh, or here in the room. Let's stand together. And why don't you look to the person next to you and say, welcome this morning. He became sin who knew no sin, our Savior Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself and He carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah.
and then leave us to our own, but that he's with us and beside us at every moment. Would you sing this new chorus to turn your eyes upon Jesus with us this morning? Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our Turn 
this as a prayer. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Amen. So today we have a Savior that paid it all on the cross for us. And that doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's with us in the great and happy times and in the not so happy times. But he's also there when we're prone to wonder, as the song says. He'll receive you back just as you are. He's faithful and just to forgive. So today, if you're carrying anything, I pray that you would come back to the Lord to be broken and then mended. It says in Psalm 51, 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I'd give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Let's sing this together. The broken and contrite heart saying, Jesus, you are Lord this morning. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come you may be seated as we continue just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark thought to be whose blood and cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come.
loves us. We can come to you just as we are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, as I've shared each week, you can join the choir this Wednesday night. And uh, I know that Brother Aaron would love for you to be a part. I love how they proclaim the words of God. You know, we have been in Daniel for a few weeks or a few months. And uh, we are finishing up Daniel chapter 4 today. Last week we did part 1 of Daniel 4, talking about the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. We saw then the warning of God. Uh, As Daniel even said, if you will repent, if you will turn, then maybe God will relent in what is about to take place. But we also saw the compassion of Daniel. Y'all remember that? How Daniel said to him, I wish that this was not for you. I wish that this dream that you had was not something that was going to take place in your life. Daniel had that compassion For one who had literally just thrown his friends in a fiery furnace. And I shared with us last week that we must be very careful with spiritual pride. This week as I was praying and and, and preparing and getting ready for the message today, I, I just, the Lord just kept putting on my heart that one of the greatest hindrances to revival is spiritual pride. You know, that's not just spiritual pride of uh, looking down on the lost. But it's also if we look down on one another. Church, we must recognize the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And we must remove all pride in our life. Remember from last week that pride, uh, the the definition of it uh, at a very, uh, bringing the cookies down on the lower shelf as I like to say, pride is putting yourself in the position of God. Saying that I want to be the one who controls or I want to be the one that is sovereign in this situation. I want to be the one that controls that when God's saying no, I am the one who is in control. Well, today we're going to pick up in verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar obviously did not listen, or Shema, hear and obey. He did not listen to what was said last week. It says this in verse 28, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built? As a royal resident by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you is declared, sovereignty has been Removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the words concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of the period, 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reasoning returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures for generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At that time my reasoning returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and nobles began speaking uh, seeking me out so that I was reestablished in my sovereignty and so passing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, I pray today that we would listen and obey what you are speaking, O God, that we would place this into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we recognize that it is only by your power and by your strength that we can uh, see and understand what you are speaking. So illuminate the pages today, and may we apply it in our hearts, that when we leave here today, we look more like Jesus than we came into here this morning. For we love you and praise you, for it's in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Many of you know that I have a deep, dear place in my heart for Canacook. Canacook is a Christian sports camp in Missouri, and they have many sister organizations, uh, such as the Institute where I went to school. Canacook is where Leslie and I met, and I worked there for many years. But I'll remember one day at Canacook, they came up to me and they said, David, are you claustrophobic? And I said, well, yes, I am a little bit. And they said, well, maybe we need to ask somebody else. And I was like, no, I'm, what, do, what do you want to ask me? And they said, we need you to go with a group of students and a, a, a guide. And we need you to go uh, deep into a cave. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, well, you're going to basically need to wear clothes that can get real muddy because you're going to have to crawl through and there's going to be a lot of really tight locations. But we're taking the kids for them to get to see all uh, the beauty of God inside this cave. All the stalactites and stalagmites, which I didn't know what those were, so I had to look them up. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to miss out on this. I said, I know I'm claustrophobic, but it'll be okay. Well, I get there. And I'm seeing this cave, and it's a big opening. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I got this. But what I didn't know was in the back of this big opening was an opening about this big. And they said, okay, now we're going to all get through there. Then we're going to all start going through this cave about a mile and a half deep. And there was multiple times that literally I had to get down on my hands and knees and crawl because the top of the cave came down low enough and all of this. And we got deep into that cave. Now, here's the good thing is, you know, when you're one of the leaders, you can't let other people know that you are scared to death. But I was scared. I said, if something happens, nobody's going to know where we are. Well, anyways, we get deep into the cave. And the leader who was taking us, he said, okay, I want everybody to turn off their light. And when they did... I experienced darkness like I've never experienced before. Literally had my hand in front of my face and I could not see my hand. It was complete, 
complete darkness. I did not know which way was forward and which way was back. I didn't know what was east or west. I had no clue because it was so dark. I was literally blinded in that moment because there was no light in there. Today, as we look at this, I'm reminded of that story because Nebuchadnezzar obviously was blinded. We saw last week that he was given understanding of what is to come. But obviously, he did not believe because he was spiritually blinded not to see what was actually going to take place. The first thing that we see in this passage in Daniel 4 is that the continuation of pride with Nebuchadnezzar. It says on verse 28 that this happened 12 months later. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream that this all would take place. And Daniel said to him, Nebuchadnezzar, if you would just repent, maybe this will not take place. Nebuchadnezzar had also seen The hand of God in the fiery furnace. He had seen when when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. He had seen that when they looked that there was not just three, but there was four people. And if you don't think that the fiery furnace was hot, his valiant men were consumed when they threw them in. Nebuchadnezzar had seen that when no wise person in the land, could give understanding to the first dream that he had, Daniel was able not only to give the interpretation, but he was able to speak the actual dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel continued to say, it's not me, but it's God. And now here, Nebuchadnezzar is given a warning. Warning, Nebuchadnezzar, your pride is going to bring about a great fall. But Nebuchadnezzar was spiritually blinded. Though he had seen the miracle, though he had seen Daniel interpret the dream by God and God alone, though he had seen Daniel become a strapping young man uh, by eating just vegetables and not the kingly food, he still could not see that what was happening was going to take place or what he saw in that dream was going to take place you know I began to think about this and 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 really two things kind of came to my mind really Daniel or not Daniel Nebuchadnezzar truly just obviously didn't believe that this warning was going to happen I mean if you heard that you were going to be placed out into the grass and eat like a cow in the grass and that your fingernails would turn into like claws like birds and and that you would lose your mind in some sense I think that if I truly believe that I would do everything I could to stop that from taking place But church I hear all the time from people I just need a sign If I just saw a miracle or a sign, then I would turn to Jesus. You may have heard this before. When people are like, hey, uh, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I don't believe that he exists. If only I saw a sign. Is that not, in some sense, Nebuchadnezzar, though he saw all these things, still was spiritually blinded. You know, I began to think, we have signs all around us, church. 
We have signs whenever we look at creation. We've mentioned it a hundred times, but just the fact that we are on this earth and it's at the perfect distance away from the sun that we don't uh, melt or freeze, even though today it was cold, but we're at this perfect distance and God spoke that out of his mouth that we see trees and, and all the creation around us. We have that incredible example and we see that all throughout, but yet people say, I still need a sign. I still need a sign. Church, can I tell you what the greatest sign is for people to see? And that is the transformation in our lives. When we let people see that who I am today, I never could have been in my own power or in my own strength. I've been transformed by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, Nebuchadnezzar was spiritually blinded and and he just, just could not see even through the miracles. And we see even today people walking in this world with signs all around them, but yet continue to say, I can't believe unless I see. It's so interesting that in John 11... In the story of Lazarus, we kind of see this understanding here when, when Jesus gets there and he's late, right? But, but he's not late because he's on perfect God timing, okay? If he would have been on their timing, they would have seen a healing. But because they were on God's timing, they saw a resurrection from the dead, amen? And so here, they, they say to Jesus, hey, you're late. Uh, if only you'd have been here. And Jesus says this in John 11. He says, did I not say to you, if you believe you will see the glory of God. If you believe in your heart, then you will see the glory of God. Then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Now many people say that he had to say Lazarus because if he had just said to the dead grave, everybody come forth or a person come forth, the whole, everybody would come out. But Lazarus comes forth and here's what's interesting. It says on down, That some saw and believed, but there were others who literally saw the raising of Lazarus from the dead and did not believe. But instead they went to the Pharisees and told the Pharisees all about what had happened. Church, do we realize that there are people walking all around who say, if only I could see, but here's the problem. You can't see until you are spiritually made alive. They are darkened just like in the cave where I had my hand in front of my face but could not see it. There was no light. I think another reason that Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe or just allowed 12 months to go across is because he just said, you know what, if I just forget about it, maybe it won't happen. You ever been there? If I don't deal with this, well, maybe it just won't happen. Well, church, here's the problem. You can make yourself as busy as you want. You can forget all that you want to forget and try to hide that things won't happen according to the Word of God, but God's Word is truth. And it will take place. We see it even today. Wars and rumors of wars. We see in the scripture that it will take place. You can sit there and say all day long, I don't need to come to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'm just going to make myself so busy. And I'm going to be a self-made person. And everything's going to be okay. But let me tell you, there's a day coming that you will stand before the throne of God. And you will find out that his word is truth. You can't hide from it. 
Nebuchadnezzar continued in this path of pride for 12 months. And then God humbles him. God humbles him. Look at verse 32. And you will be driven from away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be even uh, given grass to eat like the cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whoever, whomever he wishes. Church, because he continued in his pride, God humbled him. You know, the scripture says that God humbles the proud and exalts those who are humbled. It talks all throughout the scripture about the humbling of the proud. And we see here really two reasons why God humbled him. The first reason, I believe, is that God humbled Nebuchadnezzar to show that he is God and there is no other. He is showing that, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you wondered who could deliver you from my hands? You wondered and I showed you. But now you think that you are as if even a God, that you can be in control and that you can hold all this together. And God says, hey, I'm going to show you today and all those around that I am God and there is no other. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, I am the Lord God and there is no other. Isaiah 45, verse 6 and 7. I believe that the first reason that we see is that God is glorified in this. That it shows mankind that he is in control, which is the theme of the book of Daniel. But there's a second reason why God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the part that we miss all the time. He humbled Nebuchadnezzar for his own good. For the good of Nebuchadnezzar. Oftentimes we'll say, oh, that punishment was due him. He was prideful and, and, and God brought down the wrath and the hammer and, and all this took place. But we miss that God humbles Nebuchadnezzar because of his mercy and because of his grace. Let me just say that again because this is, this is something that we miss often in the church. God brought about the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar for his Good. It was out of the character of God's mercy and out of the character of God's grace that he humbled Nebuchadnezzar. You say, David, I don't understand. All right, well, let me give you a, the best example I know. I have children at home, and they don't always uh, act perfect. Actually, they seldom act perfect. My daughter just shook her head no. But I have said this many times. I'm glad that I'm able to walk with them right now at this young age. Because it doesn't cost them nearly as much now as it does later. How many parents have ever said that before? What we're saying is, let's just use this example. Let's say a child steals something from a store. And they're like seven years old, six years old. They steal some bubble gum or whatever. Listen, when I deal with that or somebody, a parent deals with that, it doesn't cost them. They're not going to go to jail for stealing the bubble gum. But they need to understand what they have done. But when they're 27 years old 
or 35 years old, if they go into a store and steal a whole bunch of stuff and they think they're going to get away with it because they never were uh, taught as, at a younger age, guess what's going to happen? They could easily find themselves in jail. It doesn't cost them as much at a young age as it does later in life. Let me tell you, it will not cost Nebuchadnezzar nearly as much on this earth as it will for him to be humbled when he breathes his last breath before holy God. Let me explain that to you. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled here on this earth and all that he had was removed from him. But the material things of this earth do not even compare to what he would lose by being prideful to the point of death and standing before God and being humbled with eternal hell. Church, it was for his mercy and grace of God for the good of Nebuchadnezzar that he brought about the humbling of his pride so that the light would come on in the darkness for him. As I was in that cave, we got deep in the cave and we couldn't see our hand in front of our face and then my buddy lit a match, one little match, and it lit up the entire cavern of where we were. One little match, and I was able to see everything around me. The stalactites, the stalagmites, the crystals, all these different things. And I was like, whoa, this is incredible. And what God is doing here by bringing Nebuchadnezzar to a place of humility is allowing the light to come on that he sees he is not God, uh, he is just merely man, and to see that Yahweh is the one true God. Church, this may be hard to hear, but do we pray, God, whatever it takes that you would bring someone to salvation, even if that means that they are humbled here on this earth, because I would much rather somebody be humbled on this earth before they stand before the throne of God in their pride and arrogance. I have a friend who found himself in prison. And while he was in prison, he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he loves the Lord, running for the the kingdom of God. And he will tell you that one of the best things that happened to him was him being humbled and having to go to prison. Because it was there, in the lowest place, where he had nothing else, that he recognized that God was right there. When he got to the, to, the, to the end of his life, he laid everything was laid bare. He had nothing left. And he saw that God's grace and his mercy was there. Church, it's for the good of Nebuchadnezzar that he was humbled. That light comes on. And he's able to see. Now let me just break this down for a moment to a believer and a non-believer. For a non-believer in this room today, 
God allows circumstances, situations, and brings about the humbling of people so that they recognize that He is God and that you are in need of a Savior and that He sent Jesus Christ as, His Lord, as your Lord and Savior to die on the cross so that you may be set free. But it's not until you get to the place where you recognize that all these things of this world has been deception from the enemy and you have that light, the spiritual light of God that opens your eyes to see that Jesus truly is the Messiah. For believers in this room, God uses discipline and pruning to remove areas of our life that are not in alignment with His Word. To grow us in Christ. Let me explain the difference between the two. How many of you remember Matthew 7? And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about he who hears these words of mine and obeys them is like a wise builder, builds his house upon the rock, right? The winds, the floods, the rains come, and it stands. Why? Because it's built upon the rock. Then you have the one who does not listen He hears but does not obey, builds his house upon the sand. The winds, the flood, the rains come, and it falls. And great is its fall. Here's the difference between discipline and the pruning of God. Pruning is us walking through circumstances and situations of life. Both who who heard the word and built a house, one built on a rock, one built on the sand, both had the winds and the flood and the rain come. Both of them did. You know why we have difficult things in our life? Because of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. You want to know why there's pain and there's hurt? The fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. You know why there's floods and there's rains and there's winds that come in life? It's because of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. But God takes what the enemy means for harm in a situation and he turns it for our good. I call that a pruning. John 15 verse 1 and 2 tells us that Jesus is the vine, right? But it says that God is the vine dresser. And it says this in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may do what? bear more fruit. Church, we walk through difficult times of our life and God is growing and teaching us and showing us His sovereignty, His grace, His love, His mercy, His character is being shown and revealed to us through the difficult situations of our life. But discipline, discipline is God uh, disciplining us because of personal sin in our life. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that, we, uh, that God disciplines those that He loves. And He says this in, in, this, in that discipline in Hebrews 12. He says that, that discipline in, of it, in the moment does not seem wonderful. It's not, not enjoyable. But yet it yields the fruit of righteousness. Now here's why I break those down into two things. Is because sometimes we'll go through a difficult situation and the enemy will put a thought in our mind and we'll say, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? Why has this all come upon me? I can't, what am I doing wrong? And God's saying, this is for your good. This is a pruning. He's growing us. He's teaching us. 
But then there's times in our life where God is disciplining us and we must fall on our face and repent before holy God. He's disciplining us for a purpose so that it would be removed out of our life so that we would not continue down that path for our own good, church. For our own good. And to show you that it's for our own good, look at what happens in Daniel 4. Verse 34 We see that Nebuchadnezzar, first, he continues in the pride. He doesn't listen to the warning. Second, we see that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by God. And then in verse 34, we see a true confession. True confession. It says this in verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards the heavens, and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Church, he got to the end of his uh, rope. He, could, he had nothing left and he realized that God truly is the one true living God. And he confesses in that moment. He praises and exalts and honors God who lives forever. He says this, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? And this is what I love. Down in verse 37, he says this. He says that his works are true and his ways are just. God just humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, God's ways are just. God's ways are true. God is the one who is forever. He is the great I am. He has this confession that he finally comes to the realization. The light came on. And he could see. And he recognized. And here's the the difference. In Daniel 2, verse 47, he had confession without belief. Remember Daniel chapter 2 we talked about a couple weeks ago? He said and confessed that, that God is who he is, but he had no belief, no changing of the heart, no turning to God. We also saw that in in chapter 3. We see this many times up until chapter 4 that he confesses that God is who he is, but he has no belief and no turning of the heart. But then in chapter 4, we see the turning of the heart. And you say, David, how do we see the turning of the heart? Because there's action behind it. See, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. It says in verse 10, it says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Confession must come with belief in God as Lord and Savior. But here's the thing. When you truly believe, when you truly confess, there will be action in your life. That's what the book of James is all about, right? James tells us that works without, uh, faith without works is dead. And you may say, well then David, is it my faith, my, my works that bring me to heaven or bring me to salvation? Absolutely not. It's not faith by works, it's a faith that works. Let me say that again. It's not faith by works, it's a faith that works. 
See, oftentimes people will say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I don't have to change anything about my life. Then you don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. Because when the Holy Spirit enters your life and that match is lit in the cave, all you see is the beauty of who God is and you recognize how filthy you are. I told you that I was crawling through the cave. Listen, I was muddy from top to bottom. We lit that match, and I could see the beauty all around me. And I looked down, and I said, oh, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. But that's confession. Is recognizing that Jesus, that, that you're in need of a Savior because of your sin. And believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that He took your sin upon the cross, and three days later, praise God, He rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave, church. See, true confession leads to a belief in an action. An action. Somebody told me one time, they said, well, can you truly believe that you're in need of a Savior? And can you truly believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and then not choose Jesus? Not cry out to Him? I have a hard time with that because if you truly believe that He's the Savior of the world and you truly believe that you're in need of a Savior and then you say that you don't need a Savior tells me that you don't truly believe that you're in need of a Savior. But when we come to the end of ourself and we see how muddy and how messy we are and we see that God met us right there That he demonstrated his love for us that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Though we were muddy and ashamed and we had all this upon us, God said, I love you and I'm sending my son to die for you. Church, have you truly confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And has that truly changed your life? I don't want behavior modification What we're praying for is soul transformation. It's not about just clean yourself up because let me tell you, I couldn't get all that mud off. But it's about a heart that's transformed and when a heart's transformed, the life begins to be transformed. But then there's one more thing today. I love this. We go from the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, that continued pride. We go to his humbling Then we see the true confession, but it ends with God being glorified. It ends with God being glorified. Look at what he says again in 34 through 37, and I'll just show you a few pieces of this. He said that he, uh, I bless the Most High, I praised, I honored him who lives forever. Down in verse 37, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise, I exalt And honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true. I praise, I exalt, I honor the king of heaven. Church, when your life has been transformed, you want to show the glory of who your God is. I told you earlier when that match was lit, I could see the inside of that cave. And I could see the crystals. And I could see the stalactites and the stalagmites. And the beauty of that cave, a mile and a half deep, crawling through a cave. And I saw that beauty when the light came on. Church, I wanted to share with others all about what I saw in that cave. 
When we have a transformation in our life, God has done that for our good, but it's also to bring glory to His name. When we walk in a life of sanctification, of growth in Christ, we're bringing glory to the name of Jesus. When we share the gospel with others around us and we tell them about the transformation in our life, we're bringing glory to the name of Jesus. If we're bringing glory to ourselves, then we're back in spiritual pride. Listen, we are all desperately dependent upon God for sanctification and growth in our life. And we want to share with the whole world about who he is. This king who once, like literally seven years ago, was saying, look at all that I have done in Babylon. For seven years is eating grass and has claws. And then he comes to his senses. And he says, I want you to know about God. I give honor and praise to God and God alone. Church, our whole life when you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior is all about bringing glory to God. It's all about bringing glory to God. I'll close with this. The end game for a believer every day is to bring glory to God. When we lay our head down on our pillow, we can be satisfied in what has taken place today if what we have done has brought glory to our God and our Lord and our Savior. Think about this. In the hustle and bustle of the day, I've got a 7 and a 9-year-old, almost 10-year-old, growing up faster than I can imagine. Somebody told me that six months I'll be doing this, and six months later I'll have my arm like this walking down an aisle, and that's what it feels like. And I can get lost in the moments of of just the busyness and all that's going on. Or I can recognize that in my parenting, my ultimate goal is to bring glory to God and how I parent. In my marriage of almost 12 years, I think. By the way that I love my bride... I am to bring glory to God by the way that our marriage reflects the church in Christ. At the end of the day, the way, students, that you go to your class at school, that it should be bringing glory to the name of Jesus by the way that you live your life in that classroom. As we go to work, the way that we speak to our our neighbors and our co-workers and those around us or is to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Church, when you come here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or any other night of the week, the way that we treat one another is to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Why? Because we've been transformed. Because we've been changed. Because we have a true confession and belief. The end game for a believer every day is to lay our head down and say, today, in my parenting, in my marriage, my friendships, my work, in all that I've done today, I truly believe that I've brought glory to the name of Jesus. And how do you do that? Here it is. You abide. You abide. You delight in, you dwell in, 
John 15, 5. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. But with Christ, we bear fruit when we abide and dwell in Him. So church, what does your life reflect? Are you still walking in the spiritual pride or the pride that Nebuchadnezzar God disciplines and prunes us believers for our good and to bring glory to his name? Do you have a true confession? Have you truly confessed that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart? And with that comes the transformation of life through the Holy Spirit. And is your life bringing glory to the name of Jesus? Or does your life Bring glory to yourself. Church, I pray today, as I said at the very beginning, that I truly believe that one thing that is hindering America from revival breaking forth is the spiritual pride. May we fall on our face and say that we are desperately dependent upon God for all things.